Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to Lake and Bethel. A special welcome to our video audience. It's always good to have you with us. Today I want to ask a question. Do you ever have to go to something that you just don't want to go to? You know, meetings or something or whatever. I used to really dread certain gatherings like um, the classes meetings of the Reformed Church or the Synod meetings. I used to dread those things because there's lots of deliberating and expressing of opinions that can go on for hours. Now we have those meetings because when we split from the Catholic Church back in the 1500s, one of the things that us Reformed and Presbyterian Protestants did not want was a bishop telling us what to do. So we don't have a bishop. Instead, we get together as a classis and make those decisions kind of like a corporate bishop. And it gets really messy at times and really time consuming. You get all these different egos at the microphones. Some people are trying to prove how wonderful they are. And it just drove me crazy. I wasn't very good at going to those things. Now, of course, John Wilkie was perfect for that. <laughs> now, any of you who've been to those meetings know that they can be a little on the taxing side. And then there's other things that I have a great deal of difficulty going to. I've done over 600 weddings since I was first ordained. And to go and attend a wedding that I'm not in charge of is torture because nobody else does it right. So there I am. I'm sitting at these weddings. Come on, you're talking too much. Or no, 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 you messed up those vows or whatever. Oh, no, that processional is off. You know, and, and I'm just having all kinds of problems. It's so frustrating. And everybody believes that their wedding is unique, but they're really pretty much all the same. And we go through those things. And then there's family gatherings. Oh, I used to find those things terrible. I'd go to those family gatherings and I'd be insulted and I'd have to listen to everybody else bragging about how wonderful their, their particular lives were. And, and uh, I would avoid them, you know, kind of like I would avoid them just like you avoid piles of manure at the state fair. You know, you see this, you're not going to see that particular sign downtown Muskegon very often, but it is all over the place at the state fair. Now, fortunately, I believe that Jesus got a hold of me on that. You know, he talks to us in a variety of ways. He talks to me through my wife a lot. He talks to me in all kinds of different ways. But it dawned on me that at all these places that I don't want to go, I'm supposed to be there. And I'm supposed to represent him in all of these things. I realize that it's not about me, but it's about the people that he has crossed my path that may need some help, that may need me to encourage them or whatever. And it changed me. I actually enjoy those events now. But the biggest change was this particular revelation, one that we can all memorize. We're here to help not to pick. It's not our job to find flaws. It's our job to see where we can add good to things. So I ask you the question, where do you dread going? You dread shopping? Oh, I sometimes do. 
How about going to the dentist or to a physician? You check in, you wait an hour and a half, they put you in a little room and you wait another half hour, and then you get to see a physician for five minutes. And I would get so frustrated with that. Or family stuff, you know, cleaning out the basement. Some people dread going to work. Same thing. Some people dread going to church. Don't raise your hand if you're in that boat, but there, there is that, you know? What changed things for me is that I'm there to represent Jesus. I'm there to help, not to pick. And that changes everything. And this is a very biblical concept. Today we're going to go through a part of Galatians chapter 6. I'm using the message paraphrase because I like the way it's worded. But it, uh, it has some things. That, so I hope that this passage kind of runs right through you and has an effect on you. It starts like this. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. And that's so true. You know, you talk to people who have, who've fallen in some way. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or drugs or something else, and, and folks have fallen off the wagon. But that's not as insidious. I believe that those addictions are not as bad as a much more common addiction that we have of being addicted to slander and gossip. And I think that does more harm than these other addictions do. Gossip and slander is one of the most insidious addictions that, that we have in our communities. And people fall into it from time to time. And then there's the classic thing of having affairs. But you know how Paul words this. He says, if someone falls into sin or slips into sin, he has a special Greek word that he uses, and I, I'm hopefully pronouncing it right. It's paraptoma. And paraptoma is it's kind of a cool word. It means to slip. Now, there wasn't a lot of ice where these folks lived, where this was written, you know, in Rome. But there's still that, you know, they probably referred to slipping on mud or something like that. You all have experience in Michigan here of slipping on ice. You know, you can clean your sidewalk and your driveway off, and the next morning there's a sheet of ice on it. I sometimes watch my neighbors just for entertainment when that happens because they'll step outside and your feet go south and the rest of you goes north. And then the first thing they do is they get up and look around and make sure that no one has seen it. But I'm watching. <laughs> but that's what this word talks about, is when you slip and fall. Just like what happens to all of us on icy sidewalks. Here's what Paul says when that happens. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Help those who are having a hard time. Help those who are down in the dumps and discouraged. Help those who are picked on by the rest of society. Be good to them because they need it. And if someone slips and falls, don't pick at them. Help them up. That's what we're called to do. Paul goes on with this and says, share their burdens. 
and so complete Christ's law. And share their burdens means exactly what it says. Help them out. The original language alludes to a Roman soldier's backpack. And they were about 60 pounds. Now, can you just try to imagine that? What came to the mind of the first people who read this? Is they probably had Roman soldiers all over the place. And the Roman government had taken over. It's like, you know, if Canada invaded us and made us pay taxes to Canada. So they were not popular. But these were the guys that he alludes to here. Bear each other's burdens, share each other's burdens. This completes Christ's law. And that law is what Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 12. Treat others the way you want to be treated. The entire Bible. This is what the entire Bible is all about. And then Paul goes on, you know, because sometimes we think, well, I don't want to get involved with people like that. This is what he says. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. See, it's not your job to pick. It's your job to help. And you're not too good to offer help to those who need it. And there's lots of folks who need it. So Paul goes on with this. He says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Explore your strengths. Now, folks, I should not be left unsupervised with power tools. I don't do good with that. I never have, never will. It's amazing I have all my fingers to this day. I can't hit a nail into a piece of wood straight. I've seen those nail guns, and I think they'd be kind of fascinating, you know, but I'm afraid I would use them to, you know, uh, euthanize chipmunks or something. But I'm not any good at any of that kind of work. But I can teach fairly well, I can pray for people, and I can counsel someone. See, we have to figure out what we're good at and then sink ourselves into that. Use what you have to help people. And then he says this, don't be impressed with yourself. Literally, don't get a big head. That means that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. See, what happens, folks, is because of what Jesus has done, you're okay. Because of what Jesus has done, your sins are forgiven. There's nothing that can change that. You're in. You're okay. So what matters now is what you do with the rest of it. Things are okay between you and God. That's been settled. Jesus declares it. But you're not better than the person you're next to. You're not better than the person even that you try to avoid. And then he goes on with this. He's got lots of really good advice here. He says, don't compare yourself with others which is a major theme of the New Testament. Don't compare, because when you compare, it makes you feel inferior. And comparing makes you find fault with other people. You go around saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. I get that all the time. You know, I ask people if they're usually uh, at a point of, in their lives where they're not doing so good, and I say, are you ready to go? And I say, oh yeah, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm not as bad as such and such. 
And it's always, well, I, at least I'm not as bad as Stalin or Hitler or somebody like that. Well, folks, get this. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's strictly pass-fail. And because of what Jesus has done for you, because you trust him to save you, you're in, and that doesn't change. And so comparing yourself then to other people can only make you feel inferior. It only makes you find fault with other people. It only makes you pick at other people. So instead, stop comparing and ask yourself how you can help. Stay in your own lane. Now, we went to Des Moines last week. It's fun. Everybody here should go to the Iowa State Fair at least once. Right, Heather? Heather had a great time there. They had a flood one of the days she was there, and she was, what, knee-deep in goat uh, droppings? And uh, it was quite exciting to see uh, Kim Scott. You've been there, too. And you know you should go there at least once in a lifetime. Or twice, yes. Go again. But it, uh, normally I can get to Des Moines in about eight and a half hours. It took 11 and a half hours this time. Now, I use Apple Maps, and I trust them. I trust that the computer is smarter than me. But there was construction, and then a nasty storm came through. So it routed us through Rockford, Illinois, and all these other places. And we got back on 80 in this one particular part of 80. There's six lanes going one direction, and they were all standing still. And I said, I'm just going to stay in my lane and wait my turn and get through this thing. You know, the air conditioning's working fine. We had Diane's car, so it didn't smell bad. And it was a, it was a good time. Now, with me, I don't know what it is, but whatever lane I pick, the other lanes are always going faster. And I would, you know, kind of not like that. That's where Paul says, don't compare yourselves to others. It's not something you ought to do. And so I stayed in my lane, just took an extra three hours, but oh well. You know, we got there safe and without any dents in the car and, and uh, very little profanity in the car. So that was good. I couldn't control it all because, you know, Diane was with me. But um, you know how it goes. Um, that's kind of how that works. Now. He continues this thought, he says this, each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. It's true, you're here to help, not to pick. So find creative ways to do that. Think of examples of how other people have done that. You know, when I go to General Senate, I notice that there's always two kinds of people there. There's people, well, what they do, just to back up a bit, they have microphones setting in the in the audience area and you can you know microphone too what do you have to say you know that sort of thing and there's there's some people who go to those microphones who want to show off they want to dazzle you with their brilliance and there's other people who are there because they want to serve they want to serve the church and they want to serve god and you can tell the difference right away i want all of you to be the ones who are there because you want to serve you're here to help not to pick and that is the most important revelation that I've gotten from this part of, of Galatians, and it affects my life. We need to transition from being self-serving to Christ-serving. 
to make it a better day for those whose paths we cross. In all of my postgraduate stuff that I've done, I noticed that if a professor is having a bad day, if I do what I can to make sure that professor's having a good day, it works. I used to uh, do some strange things to make sure professors had a good day, but it works. And guess what? They're much more apt to give you an A at the end of the semester, too, when you do that. Make sure your boss is having a good day. I've done that somewhat for years. Not now, you know that now I'm the boss. But what happened was uh, when I was working for UPS, my boss's boss seemed to have a bad day all the time, and I liked the guy. He was a decent fella, and we exchanged ethnic humor from time to time, which made my uh, my colleagues in the rank and file of the Teamsters a little bit unhappy. But I like to fraternize with this guy. It was kind of fun because. You know, he would call me a Hollander and I'd call him a Polak. It was inappropriate, I know, but it was 40 years ago. And we would tell each other jokes all the time. One particular morning, I noticed he was in a bad mood because he had thrown a clipboard up against the window of his office. So I walked in, you know, in my UPS Browns, and I said to him, Walt, do you know what a Polish disco is? He said, no, I've never heard of Polish disco. Discos were popular at that particular time. He said, it's just like Dutch disco. He goes, oh. So yeah, you want me to teach it to you? No. I said, well, I'm going to teach it to you anyway. Here's how it works. Disco here, then disco's there. <laughs> and it worked like he laughed too. And I think he had a better day because of it. That's Dutch disco. All right. That's not that funny, man. <laughs> But anyway, uh, that's what we did. You can make your pastor have a better day, too, just by showing up, by being encouraging, by being generous, by being willing to serve. And we certainly have lots of opportunities for that, and more are coming. You can make your church a better place. Think of your church as not what you can get out of it all the time. Oh, I'm just not getting anything out of it. Don't think that way. Think about what you can do to make it a better place, what you can give, how to make it better how to make God's vision for the church a practical reality, and then it will work. You can do this with your families, too. What can you do to make things better for your parents? What can you do to make things better for your spouse? What can you do to make things better for your kids? Remember, you're here to help, not to pick. Some of us who've been around here a long time remember Ken Dexter. Ken and I had lots of talks, and he had a, a huge struggle with cancer at the end, and I, I was privileged to get to know him quite well. But he talked to me about work, because he had worked for Shaw Walker for a lot of years. And he said, you know, when I started out there, I hated it, because I was working just for a paycheck. That's the only reason. He said, when I changed my tune and started working for the betterment of the company, all of a sudden it wouldn't work anymore. He didn't dread going in. He actually enjoyed it. He said it was much better. It's a simple fact. 
we're called to help, not to pick. And that plays out in all relationships. Now, imagine the impact we'd have if we practice this all the time. I try to, but sometimes I fall flat on my face with it. Somebody comes to your door that you don't want to talk to. Oh, here comes so-and-so. Oh, no. Somebody you're not particularly fond of and you want to hide or you want to have your kids answer the door and tell them you're not there or whatever. Because you feel like you have to entertain this person and it won't be fun. But if you change your attitude to helping instead of picking, everything changes. And when people get to know your agenda, that you're there to help, they're going to look forward to seeing you. And you're going to enjoy your life more, and you're going to enjoy people more. And I can tell you from personal experience, that really works. And people will be amazed by you. And in doing so, as Paul teaches us, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. This, uh, as I said a few weeks ago, this unpublished translation of the Bible, this unpublished paraphrase called the SBV, you know, the Sherwin-Branson version, this is my paraphrase of Matthew 7, 12. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That's what the Bible's all about. And when we do that, we have the heart of the gospel within us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we come before you as a people who've always fallen flat on our faces, yet you extend a hand to pick us up. It's our desire now to report for duty to be the people that doesn't pick, but rather a people that helps. Give us the strength and wisdom to do that. Amen. Now to our video audience, as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.